when it comes to repentance. Pastor Xavier Reese says, act now. God's grace is a limited time offer. How often, guys, look, I did this and you didn't repent. I did this, you didn't repent. And then he finds this, prepare to meet your God. The scariest word in scripture, prepare to meet your God. Once God tries to turn you and you keep shining them on, you keep sinning against that sin, you keep being brash and arrogant against that sin, he says, prepare to meet your God. That is judgment. That's not a call to repentance. That is judgment. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's common during a television news program to see a soundbite from years past played back to a political figure, so as to use their own words as a means of uncovering some hypocrisy in his or her stance on an issue. Well, as effective as that might be to expose a blatant contradiction, it's not a new technique by any means. In fact, Pastor Xavier reveals a similar confrontation from the Old Testament, as the nation of Judah found themselves answering to God for their arrogant and shameless sinful behavior. Our Simple Truth series in the book of Jeremiah continues today, with Pastor Xavier applying a parallel to our nation, turning her back on the founding gospel principles on which it was built. Let's listen. The sin and sinful practices of our nation are not secret, I hope you know that. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to give an account. We fool one another, but we do not fool God. He sees everything. The sin of the United States is idolatry. We worship the God of intellect, Bell. I mean, there are many Bells, but Bell is basically the God of intellect. And we, we have turned our backs on what we know about our heritage and our founding fathers and the nation. We worship the God of pleasure, the God of sex, protecting pornography and promoting it. And yet we're penalized for being moral. We, we are censored uh, regarding prayer and we are opposed regarding morality. You see, the shamelessness of the nation was known and practiced by all in Jeremiah's day, like in our day. No different. Notice, secondly, when you get to verse 29, down to 34, you have the shamelessness of the nation. It was arrogant and self-deceptive. Notice the progression. First of all, in verse 29 and 30, Judah attempted to plead her case. Here's, here's the arrogance. She's guilty, and she tries to plead her case. God rebukes her for such arrogance. Listen to him. Why will you plead with me? She thought she had a legitimate case to bring a countersuit against God. The whole picture in chapter 2 and 3 is that of a court scene like in Isaiah. And Judah's on trial. And she thinks she has a case against God. He says, you all have transgressed against me. How often God said, look, I did this and you didn't repent. I did this, you didn't repent. He does in the book of Amos. Yeah, I did this, you didn't repent. And then he finds this. Prepare to meet your God. The scariest word in scripture, prepare to meet your God. Once God tries to turn you and you keep shining them on, you keep sinning against that sin, you keep being brash and arrogant against that sin, he says, prepare to meet your God. That is judgment. That's not a call to repentance. That is judgment. Notice God uses their own words to reveal their arrogance. That's always a good evidence when you go to court. Judah, did you not say, <laughs> why do my people say, we are lords. We will come no more to you. 
As if a pleading husband on his knee says, please come back, I'll forgive you. And the woman will say, I don't need you. I never needed you. Arrogant. Judas, a natural affection is given in verse 32. Two questions which are rhetorical are asked regarding a bride. And the answer is obvious. The answer is no. Can a bride forget her ornament? No. Can a bride forget her attire? No. Yahweh declares, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. She had forgotten Yahweh. Notice thirdly here in verse 33 and 34. Judah trusted her own self-sufficiency. Judah was trusting in her attractiveness. Why do you beautify yourself and seek love? God is nailing her with her own words and the evidence. Judah beautified herself after the worldly manner. He had become like the world to attract the world. By the way, the, the, the word here, to beautify, is the very same word that is used to identify Jezebel when she was fixing her hairdress and everything else, when the prophet was going to come, and she looked that all painted, thinking that she was just going to slide her sinful lifestyle, and the prophet was going to greet her, and the prophet says, anybody up there? Two eunuchs came out, we are, he says, throw her down. Boom. You see, ladies, listen, your beauty may work for you for a little while, but hang on, hang on, we all start like grapes and we end up like raisins. All right? Judah was trusting in her influence even as she taught the wicked women her ways. Ooh, she's a wife of God. Her shameless, arrogant ways that were contrary to Yahweh were being taught to wicked women. And the wicked women were in awe of her. Why? The bride of Yahweh had become more wicked than the wicked women of the land. And she was teaching the wicked women of the land a thing or two. Mm. When Ahab, the evil king, saw Elijah, as you know, God has shut the heavens for the rain. And they were, Jezebel and Ahab were really mad and they were going to kill him. Ahab said to Elijah, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered back, he says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of of Yahweh and have followed the Baals. First Kings eighteen seventeen through eighteen. You see, Ahab and Jezebel had polluted the land with the worship of the Baals, and they had killed the prophets of God. And they thought they were innocent. He says, "I haven't troubled Israel. You and your fathers has have troubled Israel." And you see the evidence there. But there's some people you can confront with the evidence, and they look at you and say, "You're a liar. You're wrong." You know that person has reached a level of self-deception that it may be too late for them to turn. When you get to that place, you are in bad, bad trouble. Especially if you're in the house of God. Especially if you're in the house of God. There are many people in our nation who believe they have a legitimate case against God as they live a depraved life. They use phrases such as, they say, well, you know, I, I work hard. I've been a hard worker all my life. They say, well, I pay my taxes. They say, you know, I, 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 went, I fought in the armed forces. I, I fought for my country. They say that they don't think it's fair that God should stop them from having fun. What's wrong with me blowing off a little steam, you know? So I have a little action on the side. I mean, you know, it's not going to hurt anybody. I bring home the bacon. Or they say, you know, I, I got a case against God. You know, why is my child born deformed? 
Why did this accident happen and, and my wife is crippled? And so they think they have a legitimate case against God. And it's like the, like the little ant when you walk out in your backyard and, and, and the little ant's going to you like this. You know, now you go, <clears throat> I mean, what are you talking about, ant? It's silly. And so they say we have a right to indulge in anything we want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Isn't that the new phrase? Many of these same individuals have heard and reject the, the gospel over and over again. God, by His grace, has allowed the gospel to be preached in such a way since the latter 60s in the United States like never before. Well, I'll tell you, we have no excuse. The shamelessness of the nation was arrogant and self-deceptive. Put America side by side. Notice the third and last stage is in this truth. Verse 35 down to verse 5 of chapter 3. The shamelessness of the nation was treacherous and self-serving. That's always the end, guys. Self-serving. Look at verse 35 and 36. First of all, Judah's self-deception was self-serving and would not be exempt from her judgment. Judah's level of deception was such that she pleaded her innocence and was sure God's anger would be turned. Here's, she's like a woman. She's playing two sides. Here she comes again. Yet you say, and he used her words, because I am innocent. Surely his anger shall turn from me. Now you know when a woman's beautiful, she can turn the charm on. And this big, tough guy goes, yep. Her shameless thinking was, listen, self-serving. Her speech was like a weather vane flowing with whatever convenient direction. God would plead his case against her due to one reason. Here it is. The denial of her sin. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say, I have not sinned. This is the greatest insult to God. For you, me, or anyone else to say, God, I haven't sinned. If you do not admit your guilt and your sin, then judgment falls upon you. God only takes guilty pleas. If you plead guilty, he'll get you off. If you plead innocent, you're busted. You cannot get off. Judah was depending on Egypt in verse 36 to save her from Babylon. She was doing all she could to secure her safety in order to serve herself. Look at verse 37. The nation would go into what? Captivity heartbroken. They would go forth from God with their hands on their head as captives, humiliated. The Lord had rejected their trusty allies. Their plans would be thwarted by God. They would not prosper them at all. You see, the central message of Jeremiah is twofold. God would punish his people for their sin. But then God would restore his people after punishing Babylon. There's God's goodness. He always has a remnant. Now notice, secondly, he moves into chapter 3, which is still part of the sermon, verse 1 through 5. Judah had committed treachery against Yahweh. Why? Because she had violated her marriage. Listen, 
They say if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? Would not that land be greatly defiled? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return to me, says the Lord. And so the teaching here of the law is regarding marriage. In fact, the Pharisees came to Jesus and says, Why did Moses allow a divorce? And Jesus said, Because the hardness of your heart. He's talking about Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 through 4. It is not a, a law of divorce to permit it as if it was part of the natural thing. It was a provision given to Israel so that society would not be fractured. It was a hardness of the heart. The provision here was really for the protection of the woman. Let me just summarize it for you, okay? And many people misunderstand Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. It was a man who had found some uncleanness in his wife. It was in his mind or his heart. But it wasn't a legitimate reason for divorce. You know why? Because if a woman committed adultery, it was taken care of. She was stoned. So this was a, a, a provision when a man was so irate that he made the woman's life miserable that the woman was given a way out. And then that provision said, now listen to me, God says to the man, once you let her go, if she marries somebody else and he dies or he divorces her, she cannot come back to you. So big boy, you better think before you lose what you have. No seller's remorse. You see? It was grace on the woman and it was a great warning to the man. That's what the scriptures there is teaching. God uses it and says she cannot come back. Why? Because there wasn't a legitimate reason for her being let go in the first place. And she became defiled by his own selfishness. So he was punished for it, not her. The consequence of such action would be that the land would be defiled if you allowed this constantly. You see? So the purpose behind the law was to keep the land from becoming defiled or polluted because of easy divorces. And we saw what happened to our nation with no-fault divorce. Look where we're at now. It destroys the nucleus of society, the home. Now then notice what God does. He turns around after he makes this plea, and then he says, But you have played the harlot, yet return to me, says the Lord. It almost seems like God's contradicting himself, right? He says, look, the law says you can't come back. But here God's trying to get her back. Listen, in other words, the provision was not for one who played the harlot or committed adultery. But some unjustifiable uncleanness in the heart or mind of the husband. And the penalty was on the husband, not so much on the wife. If the wife played a harlot, or the man committed adultery, they were stoned to death. It was taken care of. You didn't have to divorce anybody. They were dead. So here again, God says, this provision that I'm quoting, it's only a principle that I show you. It doesn't apply to you, Judah. You know why? I don't want to let you go. You know why? Because I love you. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Wow. God was saying that though he had the right to put her away, he chose to forgive her by the phrase, here it is, return to me. This is what he's saying. I love you so much, I don't want to let you go. I'm willing to forgive you. So he has come full circle, hasn't he? 
What a chapter to begin with. The love of the espousal. When they came out of Egypt. He's come full circle to the marriage covenant. In chapter 2 there, verse 2 is the betrothal. In chapter 2, verse 3, the marriage to her was in holiness to make her holy for himself. He's come full circle. Notice when you get to verse 2 here of chapter 3, Judah is charged once again with her treachery of spiritual adultery. Yahweh tells her that to lift her eyes to see all the high places where she has laid with men and violated herself. These are the sacred groves, the gods of fertility. She was as a roving Bedouin, polluting the land by her harlotries and wickedness. Notice that Judah's punishment was for her to repent. But she refused to, to repent. Therefore, the showers have been withheld. And there has not been latter rain. You have had a harlot's forehead and you refuse to be Ashamed. So Yahweh withheld the latter rains, which was in March and April, uh, for the maturing of the crops, according to the covenant of, of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. God had promised that in the land. The early rains were in October and November. Especially the Baal was the Canaanite god of, of thunder, of the storms, and, and, and he was to give rain. And God says, I'm the guy who gives the rain. And I'm going to shut the heavens just to show you. Judah was said to be figuratively here as a harlot who had been tattooed as a harlot on her forehead. They would put that mark on her forehead. Interesting, the Bible speaks about the forehead for the Antichrist and those who are gods and everything else. Interesting. Notice Judah refuses to be ashamed. In verse 4 and 5, Yahweh knew Judah's heart. She would attempt to manipulate Yahweh to serve herself being more treacherous than before. She's still playing her games. Yahweh says to her, Will you not from this time cry to me? My father, you are the God of my youth. She's, she's in trouble. She tries to manipulate him. She would attempt to serve herself one more time. I, I think I can do it one more time. I think he'll fall for it one more time. But Yahweh knew her smooth words. Will he remain angry forever, she says? Will he keep it to the end? Using her charm, she would play on his love for her. That's an insult. That's treachery. When, when someone rips you out for $5 in the street, you don't call that treachery. Treachery is when someone's real close to you. And you open yourself up to them, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter. And you give them everything and then they stab you. That's treachery. Treachery is when someone's real close and personal. There's nothing closer than husband and wife. Yahweh says, behold, you have spoken and done evil things as you, here's the key, were able. She served herself. She would be exposed for Using and polluting her marriage relationship with Yahweh. She did evil as long as she could. What a picture of our nation. You ever read the book of Malachi? It's a very sarcastic book. Guys, says, you did this. Why do we do that? Listen to this section. Okay? And we see the parallel also in the days of Judah and in our nation today. In Malachi 2, 11 through 17, it says this. Judah has dealt treacherously. 
and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of the foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who bring an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Why don't you accept my offering, Lord? He says, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously with. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks a godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treasury with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit. That you do not deal treacherously. Have you wearied the Lord with your words? You say, in what way have we wearied you? Sarcastic, arrogant. In that you say, everyone who does evil is good. In the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Oh no, the people that are fornicating, they're good. They're God's children. And where is God if God's so against all this kind of stuff? Where was this happening? In the house of God. In the nation of Israel. By the way, this is after captivity. (laughs) They didn't learn their lesson from captivity that day. The average relationship today in America is much like Judas. Self-serving. Young men don't want to be committed to marriage. But they want the benefits of marriage in the marriage vow. Thinking they're honorable. Young ladies don't want to depend on a man. So they secure their own provisions and careers. So that they can do what they want. And no man can tell them what to do. Thinking they're wise. Self-serving people. And self-deceived people. Are always securing their own benefits. People are used. People are expendable. People are manipulated. People are stepping stones. People are slandered, marked. Survival of the fittest, right? Only the strong survive. The shamelessness of the nation was treacherous and self-serving. Just like ours today. And many people in the church. Pretty heavy. This was the shamelessness of the nation of Judah regarding her unfaithfulness to the covenant of Yahweh and her marriage to him. And these three truths just nail America. And they nail many in the church of Jesus Christ today. The shamelessness of the nation was known and practiced by all. The shamelessness of the nation was arrogant and self-deceptive. The shamelessness of the nation was treacherous and self-serving. There's the bottom line, people. Self-serving. Like the harlot who partakes of her trade, wipes her mouth and says, I'm clean. What's the problem? God help us. May you and I be true to God. Faithful. May we be not part of what the word warns us against. Because God is coming. 
judgment's coming. And the way it looks, it's not too far away. Pastor Xavier Reese with a challenge to reverse a self-serving attitude back into a faithful relationship, heeding the simple truths of the gospel. And in our closing minutes, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truth study titled Shameless and Arrogant are available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is simply Shameless and Arrogant, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 